Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Winder, and thanks for tuning in to another podcast of Beyond Everything Radio. And as always, I have a question for you. If I could show you how to avoid the pain of a bad relationship, would you actually consider my advice? Well, I can, but will you? In today's podcast and post, we reach part two of our marriage tune-up with a comparison between two opposite philosophies about marriage. In one, the focus is the development of the self. The other is the death of the self. Join me now as we see why the real divorce rate is almost as high as the marriage rate, and I offer a simple five-minute fix to every marriage that almost no one will try. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for coming back to yet another podcast of Beyond Everything Radio. I am your host, and I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, I'm not sure how you found me. Uh, Maybe you lost a bet. (laughs) Maybe somebody uh, forwarded this to you. I hope so. Um, Maybe you've been listening for a decade or eight years or however long I've been doing the podcast. I I've been around a, a minute or two, um, and I'm really glad you're here. Uh, you might have found this years later, months later, weeks later than when I'm broadcasting this. But let me just say, no matter when you hear this, no matter how or where, um, there is an entire spiritual dimension that is behind this, that is working for you, building you, leading you. Um, shaping your life, uh, arranging the furniture so that you could be here right now with this content. I don't believe it's an accident. I believe you're here on purpose. And this is for you. Will you give yourself the 30 minutes or so that it's going to take to hear this? I hope you do. Um, I give this series to you uh, with great joy because uh, you've requested it. And uh, now you're going to get my unusual perspectives, which many of you have told me I have, but they seem to really, really work. So if you're dating, uh, engaged, getting married soon, hoping to find love, get married, if you are new to marriage or you've been married a long time, No matter where you are on that spectrum, what I'm going to offer you today will dramatically alter the direction of your relationship in five minutes. Now, um, in order for you to take advantage of that, you're going to have to listen to something that seems completely backwards to everything you've ever heard. And this is because psychology doesn't always help us Pastors and Bible teachers who should know better do not live this way with their spouses very often. Um, Most of our traditional families didn't really grow up doing this in the same heart that this is intended to be. So there's a lot of ways to get this wrong. Uh, But when you get it right, everything changes. And I hope this is something you can latch on to and grab. It is part two of our marriage tune-up series, and it's called Establish Versus Empty Oneself. Now, I might have alluded in the introduction last week that our world is very confused. 
about how to have a healthy relationship. Confusion, just so we're on the same page, is indicative of ignorance. And ignorance doesn't mean you're stupid. Ignorance means that you don't know that you don't know. It means you simply have not learned. You've never apprehended or applied the truth that was made available to you. And that produces confusion in the mind. And we give so much power to psychology professionals, therapists. We think they own the domain of the human psyche, the soul, and all relationship direction. And I can tell you with great certainty that psychology, for the most part, is not profoundly helpful to building a relationship. Its philosophical trajectory is not as strong as what I'm going to present today. So, while I'm not saying they are worthless, I am saying they, the world puts way too much trust in what they teach. So let me explain that. There is an ignorance in our professional community on how to truly build a loving relationship. Now, this confusion believes it's a good thing to unhitch ourselves from traditional values and traditional behaviors. And as the world has done that, we've watched a lot of things slide completely off the rails. Now, I do think that some of the traditional values and behaviors were good to get rid of or to reshape or to change, but that's not really what's happened. What's really happened is most people have thrown the baby out with a bathwater and now they live in a vacuum without any um, help with regard to what they needed to learn. So the effect of ignorance of the Bible's blueprint for marriage, meaning most people grow up not knowing what the Bible really says about marriage, um, and or an assumption that the Bible is taking women back and going to oppress them farthest thing from the truth, uh, or that uh, it's a male-dominated, patriarchal, um, you know, overreach, uh, power grab, which is not true. So we have a bunch of negative assumptions about the Bible and its framework for relationships. And then we have pastors, teachers, and Bible, you know, thumpers who actually don't understand it and don't live it. But the result of ignorance towards this biblical blueprint is kind of like an Uber driver without a nav system. And you get into the car at the airport and you say, hey, take me to the you know big hotel. And they're like, okay. Uh, they have no idea where they're going. <laughs> that is what modern uh, relationship advice is like. And so this series is going to orient us towards true north, but we have to trust the GPS even if it seems to be taking us in an unfamiliar route, like you've all, you've all had that experience, like where is my GPS taking me? This is not the way to the restaurant. Um, folks, I am going to offer something today that seems absolutely absurd. 
you will probably reject the idea. And as I unpack it, I want you to watch yourself react to what I'm saying. If I do my job, by the end of this podcast today, there will be a new consideration before you and a couple reasons for you to give it a try. The question is, will you? Okay? So as I've researched uh, this series, it's been hours and hours, but I've done many hours of counseling and uncoaching with regard to people in marriage. I've done a lot of premarital counseling for those trying. I've officiated weddings. You know, it's just part of what I do in this ministry. I can tell you, though, my conclusion is that modern people view marriage now as the end of a journey, not the beginning of a journey. That's a frame shift that is truly unique to the younger generations, right? Um, most millennials, Gen Y, Gen, you know, they don't think of marriage like Gen X. I'm a Gen Xer, right? I graduated college in the early 90s, which means we all graduated and got married with nobody was 25 and single. Whereas today, everybody's 25 and single. You're 30 and single and now wondering if you'll ever get married, right? The age at which people marry is decades later. And people are seeking to establish themselves financially or within their careers or pay off debts or obtain some sense of self-sufficiency before they get married, like it's, it's the end of the journey. Like once I obtain and uh, stack up, then I'll be able to get married. As opposed to let's get married and then go through all this together. It's a frame shift. Our culture has a much lower view of marriage and it has scared people with its 50% or higher divorce rate. I'm sure Gen Xers like me and some boomers have been teaching the younger generation, hey, we're trying to convince you, just wait to get married. Don't jump into marriage, right? You've heard this, I'm sure, if you're a young person. Make sure you don't marry the wrong person. You don't really know yourself until you're 35, so just wait until then to get married, right? There's a whole bunch of stuff that's actually coming out of pain and fear, not wisdom. And it's guiding the younger generation. And it's foolish. It's ignorant. And we're told to have fun while we're young. Extend that adolescence, right? Just enjoy your 20s. That's the time to go out and experiment and try out every kind of person and personality and have a lot of fun. And, you know, it, just make sure when you get married, you're really, really sure that person is the right one. But, you know, until then, just, you know, marriage is seen as being strapped down. Marriage is seen as, you know, well, you're going to, it's not going to, you're going to lose all your freedom. You're going to lose your fun, you know? And now only one in 10 young people think marriage is a vital piece of a happy life. One in 10 really think that if they don't get married, life would be a miss. So in other words, we don't need marriage. Why? Because marriage has been delayed, postponed, devalued. 
And why? Because people don't understand it, right? It's not a loss of freedom. It is anything you will become so much more free if you're in a right marriage. So these perspectives are not a recipe for successful marriages. This is the ignorance I'm telling you about. I'm not afraid to tell you it's ignorant. When your psychotherapist tells you to work on yourself, be more selfish, you need to uh, draw a boundary, uh, not let that other person take advantage of you. Oh, that's a, an oppression, oppressive system that that man is trying to push over you. Or I'm not going to settle for that. I never settle ever, ever. Like when they're trying to build you up in this kind of self-focused way, they are not giving you the recipe for a successful marriage. They are giving you divorce practice. So here I am. I am going to give you the recipe for a truly successful and actual real marriage. The question is whether or not you're going to believe me or even try it. Let me just say here that marriage cannot be separated from a discussion about feminism and gender roles. Those will always come up. They are embedded into the narrative. And we have a generation of boys, not men, boys who were raised by mothers and women. And as a result, the gender roles for men have lost a lot of what being a man is. So women are out there dating boys, but wanting to find a man to marry and struggling to find one. And men don't understand what being a man is uh, because we're afraid we're going to be toxic in our masculinity or in some kind of thing. And so, folks, this is woven into these ideas of marriage and it has taken things off the rails. I'm going to push them back and I'm not going to put them back in some male hierarchy oppressive system. The Bible never does that. Like I showed you last week, the Bible is not uh, a, a jacked up hierarchy that you have to just jump into. It is, it is an equal but different interdependence, not codependence, not independence. Okay, it's not independence. It's not codependence. It's interdependence, equal but different. Okay, now feminism has liberated women from the economic necessity of marriage, and that was kind of its goal, and I think that has been very positive. Women today are equally empowered financially, and as a result, women file 69% of the divorce papers. Did you know that? Yeah, that's because they're empowered to walk away, whereas before they couldn't, they would lose their economic well-being. Now they can take their kids and go. Or they can say, I'm tired of that dude and leave. And they are 69% of the time. Women who seek self-definition outside of the home, which is the byproduct of feminism, right? You're not going to define yourself as a trad wife. You're not going to define yourself as a stay-at-home mom. That's, that's like, a, that's like a, a diminishment. Women feel like that would be a less than kind of life, which to me is the curse of fe feminism. But as a woman defines herself outside the home, women now share in the same delusion as men. 
men have been having this delusion about life uh, for a very long time. Do you want to know what that delusion is? Uh, the delusion is becoming established or becoming an independent person is actually not what makes somebody ready to be married. Men have known this for years. <laughs> like we've had to learn this the hard way. Oh, yeah, you might go out and you get your career. And as a man, that might have just been the assumption. You go out, you get from high school, you go to college or you go to trade school and you go to work. Then you start to prepare. And then you have a family. It's on you. You got to bring it every day. And uh, you knew, you've learned. Uh, that is not what makes you ready to be married because you're married and you don't feel ready. But now women are also uh, embracing not by choice, but by default, the same delusion. Oh, well, I'm going to become an independent person outside of the home. I'm going to become well-established. Uh, and now you're learning too. That actually doesn't prepare you for marriage. And the evidence is that marriage is being deferred and deferred and deferred. We're starting to value this you know, independence, this self-delusion more than what is possible. And so our marriages are terrible. And because they're terrible, we fear them. And because we fear them and don't have any skill on how to be married, we just delay them and keep, keep the party going. This is the uh, mindset of the world. Take a minute to process this. Now, on the surface, deferring marriage until a person is old enough to know what they are, know who they are, know what they want, it really sounds like sound advice, but it turns out to be false. Okay. Did, did you hear me? <laughs> it's not true. That's my conclusion. So it's not that time somehow allows you the ability to know yourself and therefore pick the right person. That doesn't just happen by the time you're 30. Now, there are plenty of 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds who have no idea who they are. Um, establishing yourself doesn't allow you to do that either. Yeah, like I said, that's the delusion men have carried around for years, and now women are too. So now both sexes have no idea who they are because they've conflated their identity with their uh, career. I'm a lawyer. I am a doctor, I am a sales professional, I am a business leader, I'm a this, I'm a that. Oh, whatever you are, you're not a stay-at-home mom, right? So like in these frameworks, that's not who you are. <laughs> like you literally have a false self if you think you are what is on your business card. That's an illusion. That doesn't make you ready to be married. That doesn't qualify you as a, a secure, upstanding, well-adjusted, healthy person ready to en enter a, a negotiated agreement with a other adjusted, well-off, healthy person. Uh, that's psychobabble. That's not real. Folks, only our maker can say who we are. The only way to know who you are is by knowing who your maker, who God says you are. And well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in all that. Okay, go around and self-define. 
Make up who you are. Uh, you're no different than the little kid who puts the Spider-Man mask on his head, said, I want to be Spider-Man. And mom's like, okay. And he's like, no, I am Spider-Man. You have to call me Spider-Man. And mom's like, okay, Spider-Man. That's how that sounds in my ears. See, the dating world obsesses with these identities. They're young people, of course. They, they think they are their alma mater. They think they are the career they're going into. They think they are the degree that they, they signed up for and paid way too much for. They think that you know, their identity is all about their achievements, their status, their external displays. And so dating is all about putting on the good show. It's how to be the player that plays, right? It is not being real. Modern dating is this process of peacocking until we get to know the real person under the mask. You know, dating, eventually uh, you're going to get to know the real person. But until then, you just keep the front going. You don't pass gas in the car, right, on the first date. You don't, um, you don't wear your go-without-makeup. You don't um, wear the same shirt four days in a row. You know, there's so much going on that is this, this front presentation which isn't even you. It's just the game. And we all know it. But most of us fall in love with the game. We don't fall in love with the person. Now, if you add to this the fact that sex precedes dating so often today. In other words, people are meeting, having sex. And then if they have enough sex, they think, well, maybe we'll start dating. Meaning being exclusive because they're having sex with so many different people that dating is actually a step towards intimacy with one person. It's completely backwards. Like this only adds a very deeply disassociated sense of shame and conquest. So most women will have a sense of shame. Most men will have a sense of conquest, although that's not always the case. It could be backwards. Uh, either way, it's a disassociation from your true sense of self. If you were to sit still in silence and look at your behavior and evaluate it, you would not feel proud. Or if you do feel proud, you would feel remorseful for that pride. But you lack that clarity, and so it never feel it, and on to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. We don't know ourself, and we don't have the ability to be known and thus this hookup culture that we are surrounded in, that dating apps have provided mostly for the top 1% of men, um, has really not been an advancement for sexual freedom, nor for self-definition. De self the hookup culture is a prison where the unknown soul seeks to validate what it knows deep down is broken within itself. Isaiah chapter 5 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. This to me embodies the mindset of our world that thinks unattached disengaged sexual free-for-all is good. They don't realize they are dismembering other hum humans, taking from them the one part they want and throwing the rest away 
having nothing of any interest or concern for that whole person. That is calling evil good. Now, it's impossible for two pseudonyms, fake IDs, two people living in this framework to ever experience a marriage. It is impossible. Oh yeah, you two could go to the courthouse, sign some papers, and have a legal bond. That is not a marriage. Yes, in one sense it is. But the true marriage I'm driving you at is different. Marriages between what's false don't exist. Our false self turns the marriage's problems into the spouse's deficiencies. We want you to listen to this. Financial problems are spouse getting out of shape, uh, the in-laws, or the spouse, you know, if they just weren't so reactive or emotionally unavailable or insecure or addicted, or they weren't a spender or so clingy. All of these are seen as the other person's problems there is no other person in a marriage. Like if you see this, like if you are in a trap where you're like, I'm 95% of what's right in this marriage and the person over there is what's causing the problem. And yes, I get it. Psychology will validate you. You're living with an addict. That addiction is a problem. And, but you're seeing it as their problem. That's my point. That's not a marriage. That addiction in, in this, there is no other. That's your addiction. That's your problem if you are married. In the same way, Ephesians says, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Folks, it, first of all, you should notice this is talking to husbands and to men. Second, you should notice that this is the biblical revelation here is not oppressive. This is a, in an oppressive culture. The Bible stands out as the voice that says, husbands, don't treat your wife as chattel, as, as, a own, as you own them. It's he's saying, love them as your own body. Right? In other words, make their problem, their weakness, their deficiency, their lack yours. It's yours. Treat it as if it was you. See, the Bible leads us out of all the pain and the brokenness and the heartache. But you have to actually want to trust the GPS coordinates it offers. Now, we can pay a psychologist thousands of dollars and hours in their, and sit in their chair. They'll be happy if you'll do it. You can reflect about all your childhood traumas. and You could get a diagnosis. You could get a label. You could label your spouse a histrionic or the buzzword today is you're dating a narcissist or anything that the DSM-5 uh, just randomly thinks is a terrible thing. You can get that label from a psychologist, but the DSM-6 or 7 may not even have that as a bad thing anymore. It might just be another victim group. But this is just kicking the can down the road. True love, true intimacy, which we all desperately seek, which is what we really want, can only be received if it's first given. Thus, we have to break free from getting sucked into our own offenses. This is the thing. It's like, they pissed me off, and I'm mad, and until they come and apologize, stop it. 
don't get sucked into that. <laughs> we have to give our spouses the past that we would give ourselves. You do something stupid and you're like, oh man, I don't know why I do that. It's not really me. Okay, great. When your spouse does that, now you do that for them. You see, you do this enough times and there will never be a secret between you and your spouse. Therapy doesn't act like that, but love does. This is the tension of the world. I'm trying to lead you into something deeper, bigger, wider, more beautiful. Love is a skill. It's a decision. See, we can begin experiencing a marriage within five minutes. I mean, our true marriage. It's possible within five minutes because marriage is a byproduct of the false self dying. Marriage begins when we are single. It's what we bring into a relationship. You don't go and get married after you've been dating a long time. You either bring marriage into your relationship or you never do. If you're dating somebody who thinks marriage is a one-day thing, you're not getting married. That is not a candidate. Walk away. Marriage begins when we're single, not when we establish our life, but when we're willing to lay down our life. Ephesians 5 again says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Again, not another statement about a hierarchy of men overpowering or dominance or any of that. It's literally the opposite. It's not a power over dynamic. This is a power under. You die for the sake of the other. And when you do so, the other disappears. They're transformed. That's the nature the church is supposed to be. I mean, think about this. It's beautiful. And the world can't see it. And religious people can't see it. And most churches can't see it. And most pastors can't see it. It's annoying as heck to me. The world trains us to live our lives focused on ourselves, our wants, our needs, our fulfillment. <laughs> this is not knowing ourselves. And dating from that framework is divorce practice because it trains us to compete and negotiate for what we want out of a relationship. If you have to compete for what you want, like, well, I will let you buy that new crossbow if you let me have these shoes. Like, if you're negotiating and competing for what you want, that's a jacked up situation. You're not in a marriage. That's a transaction. A marriage is transformation. God, we have to train our kids to practice self-sacrifice, not selfishness in dating. Dating is supposed to be the practice of vulnerability. It's learning how to place our heads in a guillotine and then give away the rope. The world enjoys taking off their clothes, but it thinks true nakedness, vulnerability, is risky. Love doesn't do this. <laughs> Love doesn't compete. Love doesn't need to negotiate. Love divests. It empties. It dies. Marriages are filled by emptying. Folks, that is a frame shift of the century. If only we would believe it. Now, if you're seeking to find a true love, build some lasting marriage, learn how to empty yourself. Give yourself away is how you create the marriage. That's a high view of marriage. 
It might seem impossible. It might seem like no one is capable or willing of such a thing. You can't find any of that on the dating app. That's probably true. But that's because it's foreign, even among those who should know better. Like I said, people are ignorant. They don't know how to have a healthy relationship. Dating is where we learn how to empty increasingly more with the warp and weft of life. We don't learn to plunder the other and just get what we want out of it. Well, as long as I'm getting sex, I'll stay in this relationship. But if she ever cuts me off, I'm done because she's kind of bitchy. Like, so you trade, you exchange. Well, he, he, you know, he helps me out with my rent, so I have to give it up. Like, you, you get in these negotiated relationships because you get something out of it and they get something out of it. And you're both plundering each other. It is not a marriage. It's not a healthy relationship. It's a mess. And you know it. You feel it. You want something more. And that's why if you ever thought you had some chance at something better, you'd leave. And that's why 69% of the women are filing the papers. Like you're jettisoning the old because deep down you know there's something true, but you've never had a guide to show you. Well, here it is. Joining oneself legally to a high view of love is not scary. It's not risky. I don't, I don't fear one bit that my daughter in her 20s who's thinking about marriage, early 20s, I don't feel one bit afraid or risky. If my son fell in love and wanted to get married, I wouldn't doubt it for one minute. Why? Because I've taught them this, right? Joining legally to a high view of love is where we are filled. Each person is filled by the emptying of the other person. In my wife and I's relationship, I don't go after what I want. I go after what she wants. She goes after what I want. I am fulfilled because she's going to provide it. She is fulfilled because I'm going to provide it. There's no competition. We lose ourselves in exchange for the shared married identity. There is no Kimberly. There's no real Kevin. There's Kevberly, <laughs> right? Let me just say this little note here about sex. Sex from this kind of a marriage, from within a marriage like that, is literally the best sex that people can have. I don't care what your Tinder hookups are like. That has nothing compared to this. And this is because it isn't limited to two bodies, no matter how attractive you think they are. They're just extracting pleasure from each other. That's as far as you get. But what I'm offering is a marriage where there are two entire lives giving themselves to becoming one flesh, one identity, one being. And the sexual part is, is that giving away of oneself that's celebrated. That's a very high view of sex. It's worth waiting for. It's worth honoring. It's what the world seeks but will never find. It's the, the world creates this surrogate thing of hot sex uh, where it's just lust after a body part. But again, it's dismemberment. It's carving out all of the other person and having no regard for their debt, their insecurities, their emotional well-being, their health, their life, their in-laws. None of that. You throw it all away because you just want that body part. It is dismemberment. It's jacked. So to quote one of my friends, he always makes this comment, and I think he's right. Sex is 10% of a good marriage, and it's 90% of a bad one. 
And the reason people don't relate in sex and it gets all jacked up is because they don't know how to love. Their view of sex is so low. It's no higher than their dogs. So in a self-giving, self-emptying, loving relationship, sex has no weirdness. It has no insecurities. There is no shame. There is no guilt. There is no risk. There is no corruption. It is unashamed, naked and unashamed, and it's very beautiful by design. And I wish it upon all of us. However, so few of us could ever see it and would ever give up our own impulses to wait for it. A high view of love, a high view of marriage, a high view of sex is what our world needs. And we have none of that. We have to stretch. We have to grow in order to obtain it. And we don't get there by the psychologist's chair. We get there by dying. First Corinthians, which every bridesmaid has read at every wedding, says love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It isn't arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own ways. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's emptying. You see it? That's what love is. Now, I know exactly where you're coming from, Kev. This is what you're saying. I can feel it coming through the airwaves no matter where you are. Yeah, that's all great, Kev, but guess what? The person I'm with would never do that. I'm going to answer that in just a minute. You see, our world loves to say, love is not enough for marriage. If you believe that, you're going to go down the wrong path. That is not true. Now, practically speaking, there are logistics of life and living together that go beyond the relationship? I understand that. But a true marriage grows on sacrificial love. That's all you need. As you can see from the text above, love is not an emotion. It's not how you feel about the person. Love is an act of the will. Love is an action verb, not a feeling. Love is when a person has the self-awareness to catch him or herself in the act of being unloving. Oh, you got snarky. You're being sarcastic. You're being bitchy. You're being standoffish. You're being cold. Like you catch yourself acting like that. And then you will yourself. You will that unloving part of you to die for the sake of the other. Now, if you're legally bonded to someone with whom you're not truly married, share this post with them. Start a discussion and see if they'll understand it. See if they'd consider the approach. See if not deep down inside of them, they don't actually want this too. Maybe it's been so many years of pain, they just are afraid to believe it could possibly be real. Tell them, or I'll tell them now, yes, it's real. Try it. Give it a shot. Die to yourself and all that you think you are and see what happens to your marriage. It will take two self-emptiers for this dynamic flow of love to be fully experienced. You can't just have it with one. And the barrier for most couples here is trust. Am I right? Like it's all going to come down to whether or not you feel like you can trust the other person. Kevin, if you give your life away, the other person is just going to trample on you, right? That's kind of the assumption here, right? You can, you're going to get taken advantage of. You can't be that way because that will cause you to be hurt. 
So let me say this about trust. In the same way that the world has no idea about love, it also has no idea about trust. We cannot love someone we do not trust. Don't tell me you love your husband, but you don't trust him. Contrary to the ignorance of the world, trust, just like love, is actually built within us as an act of the will, not on another person's performance. Now, we go around in the world and we say, trust is earned. You broke my trust. You got to earn it back. That's not true. Trust is graced. See, it's better to just give your trust away. Somebody harms you. Somebody lies to you. I'm not going to trust you is the default mode. Love is the other way around. You know what? You lied to me, but because I love you, I'm, I'm trusting you that you won't do it again. Well, Kevin, you're setting yourself up to be lied to again, to be manipulated, to be hurt. Yes, yes, yes. We may get trampled on. You might get rejected. You might get refused, misunderstood, maligned, or any number of horrible forms of abuse. You will get abused if the unloving person breaks your trust. That doesn't mean you don't give it away. You keep giving it away. Because if you do, you will be in love. And you can know that you're in love and not in some kind of psychological dysfunction. I can hear all you therapists just twitching on the sidelines right now. This isn't dysfunction. This is love emptying itself for the other person. And you can know that you're in love because your experience mirrors that of Christ. Listen to this out of Isaiah. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The greatest love story in the world, folks, is exactly what I'm telling you. Now, you don't want that to be true because you think somehow now I Trojan horsed some religion into your life, and I assure you I didn't. What I'm showing you is the icon of love, the world's centerpiece for what this actually looks like. You are trusted because you are loved. You will violate that trust horribly because you suck every bit as bad as I do. And guess what's going to come? Not condemnation, more trust, more love, an invitation to come back, to rethink, to reconsider, which is the word for repent and believe. Just try it. Trust it. Just turn your mind and trust. And now we see what a real marriage is. It's the horizontal experience that allows us to see 
the vertical spiritual dynamic. And it's the spiritual dynamic of God loving us, sacrificially emptying himself completely and sacrificially for us despite our abuse, our negativity, our hatred, our disdain for his law, his way, his rule, and all that he's done. We'll forget him and put our pleasure first. We are a total jerk in that regard, and yet the love comes. And he's not a victim of abuse in that sense. He did it because he laid it down for you, for me, for all the world. And from him is the icon, the centerpiece that we all look to, to how do we build a marriage based on love. Well, you love like that. You die to yourself. You don't just develop yourself. And as that part of you dies and you find who you are in God, the real you arrives. And the real you knows how to love because it experienced the love of God. And the real you who knows how to love can give that love away no matter what the other person does. And that's what a marriage is. And that's how you get there. Do you see how the biblical blueprint isn't just a rule for us to obey? That's religion. And that's a living hell. I would never invite you into that. What I'm showing you is a principle, and it inspires our heart onward to new depths. And you know as much as I do, we all need this. Now, I have practiced this for half of my life with my wife for 27 years. And I can testify here with 100% certainty this works. I die every day for her. She dies every day for me. We both die every day for our kids. Our family couldn't be more loving, more respectful, more kind, more safe. There are no secrets. And if there were, there's freedom to tell it. There's nothing hidden. This is open. This is free. This is healing. This is where we grow. This is an environment of expansion. This is what you really, really want. Not my marriage, but one for you shaped and looked like you with the same principle guiding you. It's possible. It's here. In five minutes, you're on your way. But you have to believe. You got to trust it. It's scary. It sounds wrong. It sounds jacked up. It sounds opposite. But that's why. That's why we can't get it. We no way are we going to trust it. And I'm pouring out my heart begging you to consider it. And if you're here and you're 46 minutes into this, it's because there's something in you that knows it's true. I think it's time. In a world, if it could see it, if the world could see this, more of this, this is what people would want. People would yearn for relationships like this. They'd be like, I want that. And few of us would choose the foolishness of the world, the idiocy, the ignorance, the stupidity, and the pain that comes with it. You wouldn't have F-boys running around on Tinder. (laughs) You'd have men who know how to die for the sake of others and their wives and their children and their communities. Our world wouldn't look this way if we had marriages like Our world wouldn't look this way if we had love like this, if we have a high view of marriage like this, if we had a high view of sex like this. The biblical blueprint is the way to a redeemed world, and our marriages are the path through which that redemption can take. 
And I ask you to prayerfully contemplate these things. And God bless you as you do.